Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You said statements either true or false. I gave you a statement and you said it doesn't apply. Not true that. It's not so a- only true that statements would be either true or false. So is it true that I'm talking to you? Is it true? That is a true statement? I'm talking to you? Is that true? Yes. Okay. Is it true that babies exist? Um, well, I mean, how babies how exist? Down the skeptical babies path? exist. No. Babies exist. Is that true or is it not the case that it's true? Um, I would. I mean, if you want to go down the, you know, if you want to be very strict about it, I would be uh, skeptical about. Okay, we're done talking. This is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport. We are live, Apologetics Live, here to answer your most challenging questions about God and the Bible. We can answer any question that you have about God and the Bible. If you doubt that, just go to ApologeticsLive.com any Thursday night that we're doing a show that's not a formal debate, that is, and you could join, ask us your most difficult questions. I have an answer for you. Just remember... I don't know is a perfectly good answer. Let me bring my co-host here, Drew, in. Drew, well, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. You know, I noticed something, by the way. Uh, You know, about a year ago, you were, you know, talking to Anthony and I about what we're doing for for the hair growth, and it looks like something's going there. Did you just stop shaving or uh, is it is it working there? It looks like it's growing in the wrong way, right? in the <laughs> wrong direction. So it's not so much growing up as much as it is growing down. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, babies do exist. That was hard for mm-hmm. that, that atheist. But I will not be hard, I think, for our atheist tonight to admit that babies exist. <laughs> I think that will be fine. Let me bring Bill in. And for folks who don't know, um, we have we last week we did a debate uh, where we aired the debate that Bill and I had at the Legacy Classical Christian Academy. Um, Bill, I, I, I'll say, and, and Drew, you could you could verify this with what your thoughts were, but um, a lot of people really enjoyed your uh, your d- the debate we had, the way you conducted yourself, and so uh, there were a lot of kudos given to you. Um, so just wanted to let you know that. So Bill, one, you, you, can you hear us okay? Oh yeah. Okay. So, so why don't you introduce yourself, let folks know, um, you know, a little bit about yourself if they don't remember from last week, if they, or if they didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, I uh, became an atheist about 20 years ago. Um, I like to play pickleball. Uh, I like to do art. Uh, and I started six years ago with uh, James Walker, the Atheist Christian Book Club. 
I mean, we just uh, came up with one uh, with Tim McGrew out of Western Michigan uh, University, where it's on now, uh, talking about his wife, Lydia, wrote a book about is Christianity, uh, the truth of Christianity, something to that effect. So, yeah, uh, really uh, enjoyed the uh, debate with you, Andrew, and um, yeah, had a fantastic time. Yeah. And so for folks to know, you, you, you have a book club where you review an atheist book as a group and have discussion. You review a Christian book, have discussion. Uh, you've been doing this for how, how long have you been doing that? Oh gosh, about six years now. Okay. Yeah. Th- I thought it was longer. Okay, good. So six years and you guys, you guys choose another different book from each side, have the discussion, others can join. So it, it was kind of neat. I got to see some of those uh, good discussions. Good. You know, I, I think the people that, that watched our debate appreciated the, way that we would that we treated each other the way that we kind of there wasn't the name calling and beating each other up type of thing so james emphasizes that respectful i'm more you know i like more of a you know tension and back and forth so you know (laughs) well from what i noticed just watching is it seemed like the discussion was a lot of fun uh, when you were there, it seemed, and that's, you know, cause, cause we've seen debates that get really heated and you never know what's going to happen next. You're waiting for someone to storm off the stage. Uh, and we want discussions to be fun. We want them to be engaging, uh, because that's, I think that's the best way that the audience learns. Right. Yeah. So what we're going to do tonight, folks, uh, if you, if you're, wa- if you're listening on podcast, um, just so you know, and, and, and Bill, I'm going to, do you know how to mute yourself? There's a little mute at the bottom. Uh, yeah, so, so just yeah. mute yourself when you're not speaking, because we're getting an echo from you. I, okay. I don't know if that's something I could fix for guests. Yeah, because it definitely just went away. And now okay. it's back. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, it's definitely on your end. Um, I don't know if I have controls, but I'll try. So what we're going to do, so if you're listening on the podcast then my encouragement to you is to stop right here. If you haven't listened to last week's and go back to last week's, listen to the debate because this is kind of the continuation of that. And so it'll be kind of weird if you, uh, you know, are are expecting to, you know, have the, (laughs) have, uh, uh, you know, like understand some of what, what might be happening. So, uh, get the context. Yeah, right? get the yeah, context. Get the, get the context. Get the the conversation, the foundation of the conversation, and then uh, and then join this Q and A. Yeah, and so the Q and A, uh, and anyone can come in ask questions uh, of either Bill or myself, and you know, or just of anything. Um, as folks know, with the show here, we will answer any questions, but we usually devote, try to devote the first hour to the topic. And so what the questions that we have are actually questions the students at the academy had asked. And Drew has the list of questions, and we've highlighted from the ones that were already answered in the debate. And so Drew is going to ask the, the questions of both Bill and I. Now, I will admit, because Bill had, had mentioned this, um, the, there are a larger number of questions for bill than me <laughs> and many of the questions that were of me you know were asked at the time because he was trying to uh there were, there were questions for both of us and so a lot there's a lot more questions for bill but that should be expected by the way because it was at a christian school so there's typically if you have people who they're going to ask questions challenging the person on the opposite side so it is 
it's expected. That's exactly right. When I was in New Orleans Seminary with um, James, it was like 95% to me. So Yeah. Right. I mean, we had seven questions for both of us, five for me and 20 for Bill. So if you take the ones for both and for me, that's 12 and there's still 20 for, for So, and that's, that's, not, that's usual. So for folks who may be new to this channel, this podcast, um, I'm good with that because it means Bill gets more of the time to explain his views. And for folks who don't understand why I do that, I, I, I've gotten in the habit, someone asked, so I've, I've tried to start explaining this, but I'm okay with having people on the show that give them more time to explain their particular views or positions because I have next week, right? Next week I could do a whole show responding to Bill. <laughs> Bill could still come in and he's welcome to do that. But I, so if people sometimes go, well, why are you letting this person speak and, and not challenging them? Because there's, I think, no need to really challenge when like I'm trying to give my guest more of the time. Uh, and we've done multiple shows. Yeah. Plus there's really no time restraints because there's in terms of response, right? We we have all the time to respond to bill. Plus we can stretch this out into however many episodes we want in order to respond to everything. So, so we're not restricted by time as we would be say, if we were on a stage somewhere. Yeah. When people are like, looking at their watch going, hey, it's dinner time. <laughs> well, I want to get out of here for dinner. All right. So, so Drew, I'm going to hand this over to you mm-hmm. at this point, and you can ask the question. So, Bill and I both respond, but you could pick which one of us responds first or yeah. however yeah, sure. however you so want. I will say to the audience uh, that's, that's watching on YouTube and on Facebook, if you have a question, make sure you write who you want the – question addressed to at the beginning and then uh your question if it's for andrew write andrew and then the question or if it's for both put both and then the question and then we'll we'll go with that accordingly so let's start uh i i think we need to in this q a let's lay a good foundation so what i'll open up with is a question to andrew to kind of lay the foundation from the christian perspective who is jesus yeah, and that was one of the questions. By the way, let me, I'm going to just do this real quick. I'll take the thing off. People were asking Bill's last name. It's Cluck, K-U, or sorry, K-L-U-C-K. So, yeah, Cluck, yeah. Uh, someone had asked that. So, All right, so who is Jesus? Well, first off, I will say he was a historical figure. I think Bill will agree with that. Uh, there are some who, try, who, you know, argue against that, but he was a historical figure. He, he Bill's holding up a book, uh, Jesus, My Thing in Action. So well, we'll have to let him explain. <laughs> so Jesus, my thing in action. Oh, myth. Oh. Okay. So, um, so I, I would say that Jesus was truly God and truly man. So he was God, eternal God, who be, came into his own creation as a man, lived a life sinlessly, never breaking God's law, going to the cross as a payment of sin for his own creation. So that that would be a, a, a quick, and I'm going to try to give answers quickly. I'm not, you know, because Bill and I both, uh, we, we went to dinner before the debate. We could talk all night. <laughs> I'm going to try to be concise in, in my answers so we can get through all of them, hopefully. And uh, so, yeah, so that I... 
that'd be as concise of an answer I can give. I mean, there's a okay. lot more we could say. John, John, the the writer of the the Gospel of John said that you know we could, <laughs> we could fill you know tons of books and you know. Well, and I'm on the same page you are, Andrew. I do believe Jesus existed for uh, several reasons. Uh, the criteria of embarrassment, multiple attestation. Dis- yeah, there's good reasons to believe Jesus existed. Okay. So that was going to be my next question was to turn it over to you, Bill, and to say, as an atheist, do you believe Jesus was an actual person? Um, but since you've already affirmed that, let me kind of change the, the direction of the question. Uh, what is it about Jesus that you may believe or disagree with the Christian perspective about who Jesus was? Oh, wow. Where do you begin? Um, <laughs> first of all, like in Mark 6, you know, they're saying they're trying to get Jesus out, you know, because he couldn't do any miracles and his family is trying to, you know, shoot, shoot him away. So that has a, you know, ring of verisimilitude. And there's several things in the gospel which, you know, seem to indicate we're dealing with a real person. This isn't Mormonism where it's cardboard characters that mm-hmm. these are real life, like Peter denying Jesus. I mean, who would write that, you know? <laughs> uh, so you have this criteria of embarrassment. Even John Dominic Crossan says, Two things that are historically certain that Jesus was baptized by John. That's embarrassing because you would expect Jesus to be baptizing John. It's a baptism of repentance. Uh, And Jesus was crucified is one of the secure facts in history. And Bart Ehrman and other uh, skeptics of Christianity would agree with that. my thing would be that in Mark, you have more of a Jesus, you know, that's more human, that uh, does perform some miracles, but it's totally different than the Gospel of John, where you have Jesus saying, I'm the vine, I'm the way, the life, the truth, I'm the bread of life. You have all those I am statements, which are totally contrary to the Messianic secret in Mark, where he said, hey, don't tell anybody who I am. So, uh you know, and you have the adoptionist uh, theology in Mark where Jesus is adopted at his baptism. Uh, there's no birth narrative in Mark where in uh, Matthew and Luke, he has a divine birth. And in John, he's the logos from the beginning of the world. So it's a trajectory, I would believe, if you read Bart Ehrman's book, um, you know, How Jesus Became God, it looks like uh, Christians, the church, imposed deity upon Jesus. So it's a very complex question. Okay, gotcha. Uh, <clears throat> let's stay along the same lines of laying a foundation. Uh, let's move into a little bit of testimony. Uh, Andrew, when did you become saved? Well, some would question whether I still am. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, question me. That's for sure. No, so I, I got saved at the age of uh, 16 from a Jewish family. Um, it was one where, for folks who don't understand <laughs> uh, Judaism and, and whatnot, uh, it is not something that um, uh, my parents went casket shopping. I'll just put it that way. The, the, you know, it's it's something that is. Bill was mentioning embarrassment. Uh, having a, a child become a Christian in a Jewish home is an embarrassment, and so um, mm-hmm. it was. You know. So I got saved at 16. I got saved, um, you know, my testimony I know is if you listen to Andrew Rapport's rap report and just look for, I think, personal testimony, you'll probably find it comes up a couple times. I've been on several different podcasts sharing it, the longer version. So, but that's the short version was, so people who want to do the math, it was 1984 
I know, Drew, you weren't even born. I get it. But two years later, I was. <laughs> <laughs> two years later. Okay. Um, so now, uh, along those same lines, in the opposite direction, Bill, I know you mentioned a lot of uh, the things that you would dis- you disagree with about the, the Christian view of Jesus and who Jesus was. Does that also play into why you are an atheist or why you uh, say you left Christianity uh, to become an atheist? Yeah, well, I became a Christian at 17. It's funny, when you're in those teenage years, it's like uh, a lot of people like Bart Ehrman, Michael Sherman, all of us became Christians, like, you know, in our teens. And Andrew, of course. Um, But uh, I was at a Sunday school class at Colonial Baptist Church in Cary, North Carolina, and someone said, hey, Bart Ehrman's going to be at the Barnes Noble. I went, who's Bart Ehrman? So I went there, and I went, whoa, I have no idea about Christian scholarship, uh, New Testament scholarship. And, you know, I started reading every book he uh, wrote. And, mm-hmm. you know, and by the way, he's on our YouTube thing. He, we, he had more views with our thing with Bart Ehrman than any other person. Okay. So, okay. So you've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned Bart Ehrman several times. I'm guessing you've read a lot of Bart Ehrman's yeah, right. books and heard probably a lot of his lectures and or debates. Sure. Uh, what's your opinion about, and this get, is getting into a little bit of textual criticism. Uh, what is your opinion about the, uh, variance in the Bible? Well, Bart Ehrman's famous line, there's new, more words in the New Testament that or more errors in the New Testament manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. Like, Estimates are like he estimated 400,000. I've actually heard Christians say it's 500,000. I did. The key is most of the variants are inconsequential, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, misspellings, uh, word order, whatever. But there are some, I asked him this, you know, when he was giving a talk in Chapel Hill, there are some that affect uh, theological doctrines like uh, nor the sun. No one knows the day, every hour, neither the angels in heaven, nor the sun. So some manuscripts don't have that, some do. So if Jesus doesn't know the time and hour, it does have theological implications. The Johannine comma, where it says these three bear testimony, uh, the father, the son, and the, what, the some manuscripts have water, some have um uh, spirit. So these things do affect, like uh, when Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating blood, a lot of manuscripts leave that out. Some have him sweating blood to combat docetic heresies. And Bart Ehrman's uh, scholarly book, uh, Orthodox Corruption of Scripture, he goes into that where it's mostly these uh, variants and these corrections that the scribes do are to combat uh, docetic heresies where they believe Jesus wasn't really human. He just appeared uh, from the word docetus. So, yeah, so let me, you know, and I I did, I'm actually, I don't know if I mentioned in the debate, but I definitely taught the students, you know, the the way they count the numbers uh, would be more like 500,000. And there's a difference. I I think that the argument that Barterman makes is an apples to orange comparison. So the issue here is you're taking something like Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus as four different variances. That's how they get that. I mean, how do you have four or 500,000 variances when you only have 138,000 Greek words in the New Testament, right? Well, that's how they get it. It's, it's, there's different variant readings. So what I actually did was I went through the, the Greek New Testament and looked for how many words, period, have 
a variance because that's what you need to do the comparison. The comparison needs to be between all the words in the Greek that have variant readings. It doesn't matter how many variant readings, just that they have a variant reading. And you compare that to the number of words. And so when you do that, you have about 36,000 words uh, of which, um, or 3,600 words, sorry, uh, of which when you, if you use the 1%, which is what I think Bart Ehrman would, would use as a conservative number, really, yeah. Daniel Wallace would say it's one-fifth of 1% are in the meaningful and viable. That means we can't get back to the original and it changes the meaning. Uh, and so you're, you're talking about like 30, 36 words. But real quick, uh, no man knows the day or the hour. The problem that most people have with that is they don't understand Jewish idioms. Uh, when I first heard someone trying to explain that passage, he spent, my pastor, he spent 20 minutes trying to explain it. I just asked him afterwards, I'm like, why didn't you just say it's a Jewish idiom? And he was like, what? Yeah, it's an idiom referring to marriage, that the, the, only, the son doesn't know the day or hour that he's going to get married. Only the father knows, and he's supposed to be living in expectancy, like as if any moment could be the moment. And if you read the context there, that's exactly what it talks about, living as if Christ could come back at any moment. So it fits with the, with the idiom. Now there is, a, we could say the idiom that we know of today, the way Jewish people would use it, doesn't include the angels. I, I think the reason is, is because somewhere in rabbinic Judaism, they, they stop believing in angels. Uh, there's many Jewish people today that don't believe in angels. Maybe they dropped it for that. Maybe it was part of the original idiom. Uh, and it, so I don't think that actually changes the meaning of anything. And if we say, well, we can't get back to the original, see, it's not changing the meaning of who Christ is because it's, we have to understand the language as an idiom. Uh, and as far as the Johannian thing of the three and one, I never use that to defend the Trinity. So it doesn't yeah, change the meaning. <laughs> yeah, it's not, and that's the point. The, the, the issue being is, is there a Christian doctrine? Mm. For a Christian doctrine, it had to be, it had to be, solely on that one passage. Like if that passage in John is all we have to prove the Trinity, then, y y you know, Bill makes an excellent point. Right. But mm -hmm. I never turn to that one ever when <laughs> defending well, the Trinity. There's another one there being justified uh, by Jesus. We have peace with God. Is it justified or are we being justified? And Bruce Metzer gave that passage an A. So the difference is, are we justified? Is this a finished thing or is it, a work in progress. So it has a theological implication. And there's manuscripts that have it one way and manuscripts mm -hmm. that have it the other. And the good news is we have 5,000 Greek manuscripts, Syriac, Coptic, all sorts of More, more than 5,000 now. Yeah, we're, okay, we're, we're up to like eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so it's, by the way, it's, it looks like Bill has some, some fans in the house here. I don't know who uh, Daniel Ray is, but he says, hey, He's, uh, there's. Watchman Fellowship. He's on yeah. staff there. He says he, he says hello to you. I'm going to assume he just had a typo there, unless your nickname is Bull. <laughs> Bull clock. <laughs> well, you might change after the thing here. <laughs> okay. Uh, Andrew, is there anything else you wanted to add to that uh, uh, explanation of some of those passages, whether it be the Kama Johannium? No, or, I think uh, I think I even... I hit it. Yeah, I mean, the only, my only point with it would be I don't. I don't think any of those change the theological belief we have because we don't rely on those. Okay. Well, and there's one that says uh, Jesus was, is it compassionate toward the lepers? You know, he healed nine lepers and then, you know, he goes, my God, if I have to heal one more leper, I'm going to go crazy. And then he, the other translation, uh, one manuscript has, 
he was angry at the leper. So it impacts the nature of Jesus, but it's, you know. Well, but do, do is, if we didn't, if we didn't have that, right? It wouldn't, yeah. It wouldn't affect anything. No, no. And that's so the, we're on the same page, yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, so Andrew, this is for you. Uh, is it important to you that things in the Bible seem so out there that they couldn't have been written by man? Yeah, and I, I, I didn't mark this as being one that was asked because it was worded differently. There, it was, there was a question like this during the debate. So, um, and, I, and when I think of it with the quote-unquote out there, you know, things like talking donkeys, mm-hmm. uh, axes you know, floating in water, the, the sun standing still for an hour. These are things that peop- we look at in the natural world and say, well, that doesn't happen. So is it important uh, that the things in the Bible seem so out there that they uh, couldn't have been written by man? Well, I don't, I don't think that if it's out there, it means it couldn't have been written by man because I've read the Book of Mormon and, and, and Doctrine and Covenants, and they're further out there. I mean, not so much Book of Mormon, but like the other, the other you know, where they start saying that we're, you know, the Heavenly Father had a, you know, a wife from another planet, and, you know, that's out there, right? In an attempt to explain where God came from. So I don't think that it's that it's out there. One of the things that did come up in the debate, Bill brought up in the debate, the zombies, as he referred to them in Matthew. Um, and, and my point there was, you know, like Bill's point was, hey, they're like, there's just this comment about people coming up from the dead. And my point with that is what we see in, in the writing of human beings, that people wouldn't just say something like that and move on. They say something supernatural or, or out there, and they explain it. The fact of what you see in the Bible is there's just these things that are just mentioned and moved on. Like, that's one of them. It just mentions people rose from the, from the dead and were preaching the, about Jesus and move on to the next topic. <laughs> that is not what we'd see if it was human-written, typically. So, one thing that you can help me with this, Andrew, I was in a uh, mid-cities theological discussion. We used to meet at IHOP, and I said, well... Okay, okay, hold it. i got to stop you for one second for, for the audience. Some people, you're probably not aware, IHOP is, for some people that don't know, International House of Pancakes, not the cultic group International House of Prayer. Okay, continue. <laughs> So uh, I brought up the part in Leviticus where if a woman has her period, you take her away. She can't touch any lamps or, you know, beds or anything because it would be unclean. So she has to go and be secluded for what, Andrew, a couple weeks or. I'd have to look it up again. I'm not sure. Whatever. She's secluded. So I said, look, girls, does that sound like a guy a man, a, a Jewish man is writing this, or does it sound like God is writing this? And they go, well, obviously it's God because that's a great idea to have them secluded for two weeks in their period. I went, I can't win with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay, that's just funny. before you get to the next question, just a programming note. Uh, David O is saying, Andrew, just a heads up, Bill's mic is much lower compared to yours and Drew's. I, we, I was trying to fix something with his... Um, with that echo sound we were getting. And so I had turned off the automatic volume. I turned it back on. So just let me know if that, in the chat, let me know if that's Isn't sounding better. better. No, no, no. I think it was something I did on my end. Okay, okay. So okay. we'll see. 
Okay. Um, now let's stay on the topic of um, tax, the, the tax just for, for one moment. And then I want to uh, shift gears a little bit because of the question, some of the questions that have come in. But uh, during the debate, uh, the topic of Matthew 24 came up. And uh, I want to ask this in two parts. I want to ask it to Andrew one way, and then, Bill, I want to ask it to you in another. Uh, Andrew, when you're talking about Matthew 24, your argument was that when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking of the generation that would see the signs that he mentions would take place. Uh, so, so my question for you is, uh, how do you explain Jesus's use of the second person pronoun you when he's talking to that group? Is, is this just because you want to push your post-millennialism? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was going through my head when, when, y'all, when I was watching the debate, so I said, I've got to ask him this question. Uh, as you're asking the crowd, I'm going, that, that wasn't from the students. <laughs> this is a, a Drew personal. <laughs> okay, so Matthew 24, right? It says, Jesus came out from the uh, temple and was going away with his disciples. And, and Bill, just if you mute, if you could mute when you're not... Yeah, sorry. I, I, got it. I don't know what it is. It's on that star with StreamYard, and we thought we fixed it last week. But sometimes the guests, we, we have this problem. I don't know why it is. But, okay, so Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the, the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you see these things? Truly I say to you, uh, not one will be left upon the other, uh, which will not be torn down. So he's, he's talking there just, you know, the, the, the idea here is that they were, if you, if you look at the geography, they were looking over the, the, the you know, the, the beautiful gold dome that would be of the temple. And the, the temple was like the big thing that they focused on. Um, this gets into the whole issue of signs, what, what to look for, Right. So he, it says he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So after this, Jesus is going to start talking about the, the fact that he is, you know, all these different things that were are signs. <clears throat> and uh, I... You know, so the argument is that he's going to say that the generation, I'm trying to see which verse specifically, if you know Drew offhand. Um, uh, oh, you know what? I could do it this way. Hold on. I'll just, in my log, I'll just search for generation. Um, if I could spell. Generation doesn't have a U in it. Generation. All right. So it is verse 34. All right. Yep, there it is. So, um, he said he he. So he's explaining all the signs, right? But he's yeah. he's speaking of of things right from the beginning. In in verse twenty four, he's he's saying, okay, uh, see that no one misleads you. Okay, so who's he speaking to there? Is it just the disciples, or or do, is this more general to to more people. Well, clearly, you know, as you read through this, he, he ha- has a wider audience than just the disciples. Um, you'll hear rumors of wars and, and you know, all, earthquakes and all, the, all this stuff. So when he talks about um, 
And now I've lost the verse. Was it 34, right? 34. Yeah. Okay. And so he gets down context 32. Uh, now learn the parable of the fig tree. Uh, its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know, its summer is near. So you too, when you see all things recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. So he's saying to those who are hearing him there, I say to you, this generation. Now, the, the generation there is a definitive article, okay? So the, the issue is, what, who does that refer to? Not who does the you refer to? And so the, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. I would say is the the generation that sees all that sees the olive branch in verse thirty two, right? The one that sees the signs. So so let me uh, uh, draw out the that question a little more in verse thirty three, uh, when Jesus says, "So you too, when you see all these things," before he even starts talking about generation, there when he says, "When you." also see these things uh so so are you saying that's that he's talking in a broader generality that's still connected to the generation that sees those signs yeah i think so okay i know so that doesn't my, work that doesn't work well with your your theology i get it drew but well, it and, and for bill bill this is like the common joke we do each week is we you know at some point we have to bust on his post-millennialism and he busts on my pre-millennialism <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying it, you know it look it doesn't matter my thoughts about this at the moment because this is a conversation between uh you and bill i'm just moderating but yeah i'm just throwing questions yeah on purpose so so david is saying if if bill can move the mic closer to his mouth so okay my point is can you hear me now yep okay that dale allison has written a book he's the expert resurrecting jesus he says in the epilogue jesus was wrong so he's a christian but he recognizes that jesus was wrong on this point he made a false prediction bart ehrman that both of these scholars came to the same conclusion that we best understand Jesus as an apocalyptic prophet who had a bad weekend in Jerusalem. So, so Bill, um, uh, the question I was going to ask you, that's kind of along the same lines. Uh, I'm, are you familiar with the late uh, Christopher Hitchens? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So, so some years ago, Christopher Hitchens did a debate tour with uh, Douglas Wilson. And I'm going to ask all of our listeners to shoulder their <laughs> views of Doug Wilson, okay? Um, don't crucify me. Um, but he did a debate tour with Douglas Wilson, and he raised the very question that, that you asked. He said Jesus was wrong. He predicted his own coming, and he said he was wrong. How do you explain that? And so Wilson's response was that Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple and his coming in judgment. And so my question to you is, given what, Christopher Hitchens uh, asked, which is along the lines of your same question of Jesus being wrong, uh, what are your thoughts about the view that Jesus, this wasn't his second bodily coming, but this was a coming of destruction on the temple? 
It could be, and people ask me, I go, why do you put so much emphasis on the scholars like Dale Allison? They're the experts. They're the, one, they're the ones that know the Greek. They're the ones that have written all these books on Jesus. So I just have to go with what the experts say. Uh, and it could be, who knows? You could be right. You know, that view might be the right view. Okay. <clears throat> Andrew, is there anything you want to uh, piggyback out on that? No. Okay, uh, so we'll move on. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of uh, creation, evolution. Uh, Bill, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory, even though there is scientific evidence against it? Well, obviously, uh, you know, by the way, we're having Lawrence Krauss on at the book club okay. next month. And you know, obviously he would be believing the Big Bang. And, you know, it was the uh, background radiation is in evidence. Uh, the universe we found was expanding with the Hubble find back 100 years ago or whatever. So if it's expanding and it's going faster as it gets out there further, then it makes sense that if you wind it back, it had a beginning. And they say they can get back to 10 to the minus 43rd plank time. How in the world you can go back from 13.7 billion years? Oh, oh. what just happened to Bill? Uh, you know, he, he just, he, he, he might have touched something, which yeah. is what his wife warned him against. Teresa. <laughs> okay, he's, <laughs> all right, I'm going to mute him until he gets back on camera. He's, he's calling for his wife, his girlfriend to help out. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. There he is. Well, we we got the wrong camera though. We oh, got to switch the camera. Oh, he's muted. Yeah, you got to unmute that. yourself, and then uh, if we could we could just stick on that view oh. if you don't know how to switch the camera. Okay. So, so can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Well, I'll, we'll work on the camera later. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so there seems to be evidence the background radiation discovered years ago and so forth. Um, but what's interesting, you know, I was in a creation evolution class and we talked for ages about this stuff and I learned a lot about science and so forth. But when I came here to Dallas, all they wanted to talk about was Calvinism. And so, you know, it's like, gosh, did I just waste years doing this? They want to talk about some good stuff. <laughs> All right, so so Andrew, uh, do you want a, a chance to respond to the idea of the Big Bang theory and evolution? Yeah, I mean, look, the the issue with the Big Bang, and they, I'm just Bill, I'll, you just unmute yourself when you want to talk. Um, and so the the Big Bang, I mean, yeah, as as the person said in the in the question, you know, there's science uh, there's science evidence against it. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the mathematician that calculated that it's math big bang is mathematically impossible um the big bang requires something to first be there right and so uh i mean stephen hawking's in his book says that there was nothing and that nothing was actually something well i mean nothing are, is what rocks dream of uh nothing's not something and something's not nothing so yeah Lawrence krauss wrote a book uh a universe from nothing and he believes you have quantum fluctuations but still how do you get this expansion this inflation that just so fast the universe expands to a hundred thousand light years or whatever i mean it's just incredible and 
it has to expand at just the right rate. If it goes too fast, you won't get galaxies formed. If it goes too slow, you just get a big crunch into a black hole. So this thing has to be extremely precise. And you have all these fine-tuning things like the gravitational constant, the energy density, which is 10 to the 60th, the energy density of empty space is 10 to the 120th. So all these things have to go just right for this to work. Yeah, and actually that works against you because everything has to be just right and that math doesn't work. I mean, I, I, that's why I say the, the, the magic of evolution is, is you just keep adding more years to it to, to make the math work. But, and that's why, because when I was a kid, the universe was, you know, a few hundred billion years old or, you know, or a million years old. Now it's billions of years old. Um, I think, I think, I think at the latest number is five or 6 billion. It keeps increasing. 13.7 billion. Oh, there we go. So I'm, I'm, I haven't kept up on it, <laughs> right. but it keeps, they keep adding time. And I think that, um, because the math doesn't work for it, how the thing is God just creates everything out of nothing. So how, how do you get the expansion? Because God created it. I mean, it just, he, he can do that. The, the, the fact that you have nothing that ex- somehow becomes everything, how could that even be when we compare, like having God create something and have it expanding is not outside the realm of what we, we see. Nothing becoming everything without any any mind any force to create it that's magic (laughs) well well uh so so bill i would uh a question i have is uh do you believe that there are such things as miracles that's a tough one because i had witnessed a miracle when my girlfriend aerobics teacher in durham north carolina had her shoulder dislocated or whatever and uh he the doctor said six weeks to heal and then the next day she was teaching aerobics and i went to the doctor and i said what do you think of that miracle and he goes she's a mighty healer and it's like you know so yeah and we've had the uh people on that have written books about miracles and when you look at the new testament you just have to um give an example jesus walking on water okay we gotta try to see is this historical is this a real historical event and the problem is in mark jesus walks on the water but in matthew you have jesus and peter walking on the water so which is true and is that diversity does that add credibility to it the problem is it's a one-time event we can't say hey get the camera over here and let's get a different angle and do this again so we we just have to go by the testimony of the you know maybe witnesses and you know it's it's a who knows well, so, so the reason i i, I asked that question is because um <clears throat> if evolution and the big bang is true then that would be a miracle that we ended up our earth ended up where where it is the distance it is from the sun where the moon is from the earth for gravity uh to to have its constant uh in our world for us to be able to have the air that that we're breathing um so it seems it, it seems like uh it takes a lot of faith to be uh uh, someone who holds to the Big Bang and evolution rather than believing that there was, you know, God who just created by his, the word of his mouth. Can you guys see this? One over yes. 157? 37, yeah. Oh. So it gets worse. Uh, the fine structure constant is 1 over 137th. If this thing isn't just right, if it's too big, you won't get 
chemistry. If it's too small, things don't go right. And if it's not, if this thing isn't just right, you don't get carbon forming in stars with supernovas. So Richard Feynman, one of the great physicists said, every physicist should look at this number and where so it's just so much things that have to go precisely right for this to all happen and evolution man it's so complex because you look at some things like endogenous retroviruses that we have on lemurs and chimpanzees that seem to indicate a common ancestor and why would god put these endogenous retroviruses there and you have the homology and the like the well evolution where you seem to have a nice little trend of fossils showing this but then again you have the Cambrian explosion, where most of the major phyla, like echinoderms, chordatas, back people, things with bacterium like us, uh, trilobites, whatever, you know, all these major phyla, uh, jellyfish, and so forth, seem to arrive on the scene 540 million years ago, uh, all at once. Now. You look at the other side and they'll go, oh, well, various Precambrian precursors uh, that you know led to these uh, major phyla. So it's extremely complex. And right now we're having a big debate with like Joshua Swamidas, who says, hey, you can have an Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago. And then William Lane Craig saying, oh, no, uh, Heidelbergensis man, 750,000 years ago was the original Adam. And I just heard today that 950,000 years ago, the human species almost went extinct. It was down to like 1,200. And what's interesting in this uh, recent thing I watched is we like Craig goes, well, we'll just have to keep up with the uh, new post and the new events. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, are you supposed to base your faith on the latest science, on the next uh, round of um, genetic research? And so it's extremely difficult, extremely confusing. And what I preach and to the kids out there is it's okay to have doubt and uncertainty because these things are, you have to be an expert in genetics and, uh, you know, phylogeny, you know, all sorts of things to really understand this stuff. You know, it's funny, Andrew, because it sounds like he's pointing out the same problems with William Lane Craig that we point out with William. Lane well, Craig. I told him that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the book we're talking about is the quest for historical Adam. And see, so you yeah. have things like reasons to believe that says, oh, well, Adam was 120,000 years ago and that the Neanderthals were soulless hominids where William Lane Craig would say, oh, no, those those are us. They're, they're our fellow you know, cousins and stuff, Neanderthals. So and then Biologos would have another issue. Yeah. So it's all over the place. And, you know, it's fascinating. You do learn a lot about uh, genetics and research and radiometric dating. So this stuff is, <clears throat> I talked to the young people. And by the way, these questions you guys asked at Legacy are just amazing. I'm just so impressed yeah. with your guys, uh, you know, knowledge on this stuff. Yeah, that, that was true. And let me just recommend uh, with what Bill's saying, there's a, a uh, well, DVD, but I'm sure you can get it in like streaming nowadays. But Privileged Planet is, I, th I think, the name of it. And it goes through all the, the I mean, if I remember correctly, they said that, you know, it's the, the, the chance of everything being so perfect is, you know, one to the power of like 127. Oh, it's just incredible. It's, That's just one thing. Like we had Stephen Meyer on and... 
we said, what's the chances of a protein forming? Because you have all these amino acids. First of all, they have to be left-handed. You've got the chorality problem, you know, the handedness, where they have to be all left-handed. And then the chance of one of those, like getting 150 amino acids in the right order to form a protein, these things have to be folded just right, too. It's just incredible. So... Um, yeah, there's just so many difficulties, and you have to have the polysaccharides, the nucleotides, yeah. the lipids, uh, the, the membranes, just not that simple. It's semi-permeable. So how in the world do you get life off the ground? Well, yeah. that's why that's why Frank Turk says he doesn't have enough faith to be an atheist, right? Because, I mean, you have the left-handed aminos, right-hand, you, you know, it's, we only see one, <laughs> but they both have to have been there. And so, you know, there, there's so many things when you look at, the ideas that people have of the creation of the universe and life that just do not add up without there being a creator. You know, the amino acids, you have the fact of, you know, the oxygen level. I mean, there's there's a ton. And uh, so, yeah. It, yeah. Andrew, did you want to touch on the uh, evolution question uh, or re- respond I, to... Uh, no, I, th- I, th- I think, I mean, I think he did a good job of exposing the problems that evolution has. <laughs> well, and another quick example, well, evolution is supposed to be one of the best evidences mm-hmm. for evolution. But I, from a life of me, I can't see how Pachycetus, a land dwelling, looks like a calf, a little cow on land, somehow over the brief time of 10 million years goes to Amblycetus, Duoderms, and Bacillosaurus, and eventually turns into a, what we have today, Wills. I mean, it's just, I don't get it. it well, so that, I would it, like to ask a, a question uh, to both of you along the same lines of what you just asked is uh, when we look at evolution, evolution by necessity means that organisms have to gain information. Uh, they have to gain new information into themselves in order to evolve. Now, what scientists have noticed is that no organism has ever gained information. We've only seen it decrease in, in, in information. So, so uh, do either of you want to speak to the idea of... Yeah, uh, let, me, let me just correct, okay. let me correct your question to, to okay. be more precise. So we do see a gain of information. It's a mutation. Mm-hmm. We've seen mutations mutation? all the time. Sure, okay. What, yeah. What's required is a beneficial, reproducible adding of information. Right. A- cancer is the adding of information. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, is but is it beneficial? Answer? No. Right. No. Now, <clears throat> some will argue uh, if you have, they'll talk about celiac disease with malaria and say, see, here's something that is beneficial and reproducible, but it is beneficial only to those who are getting malaria and deadly to like everybody else. So it's really not a, it's, it's positive only in helping with malaria but that's kind of more the that's not what actually ends i mean it still will kill people if they're you know not eating properly so the so to be more specific no we don't see any beneficial reproducible adding of information to the dna and yes it would it would require evolution will require so many of them even if if there if man was millions of years on earth it would require so many of these changes. We should be seeing it everywhere. And when we actually look at the fossils, we actually look at the evidence, we see gaps. And that's why you end up having people say, well, it, instead of it being this slow change, there was something that occurred that made really quick changes. 
And that's why we don't see all the transitional forms. We just see fully formed. And there was a debate between James Tor and Professor Dave recently, and uh, it's one of the most dynamic debates uh, you'll ever see. The problem is they cite papers and the words they use. I can't understand half the words they use. So, but I do kind of see James Tor's point that when you have these reactions, here's one of the problems. It's not that you get too much leftover stuff, too many uh, chemicals and byproducts that can mess up the reactions. So that's, you know, a big problem is, and I've heard other uh, chemists say the same thing, that the, the excess of byproducts can you know, mess up these reactions and you know, be deleterious to the progress. But the problem is they, they need to you know, tell us so we can understand it. Stephen Meyer, when he interviewed James Tor, actually did a pretty good job saying, let tell us so we can understand this stuff. But it's extremely complex. And yeah, you know, we just you know, have to try to figure it out. Okay, uh, let me get to a question. Uh here that we highlighted for Bill. Uh, where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Um, I don't know where we came from. I guess, why are we here? Who knows? I mean, as an atheist, what you have to do is just existentially try to find, eke out some meaning in life. Because ultimately, you know, if the heat death of the universe, the sun expanding and, you know, just the earth being ultimately destroyed, it's all going to be meaningless. So, you know, with myself, I play pickleball. I do art and which is very rewarding so i try to find you know meaning there and where are we going here's the thing we don't know we probably there's been mass extinctions the permian uh the jurassic extinction uh or the kt with the kt boundary and all that these there seems to be just these big extinction events and uh, hugh ross even says we only have we're one good supernova from being going extinct so it could be less and i think he says it's less than a hundred thousand years so my point to christians is jesus said i go to prepare a place for you a mansion i wouldn't tell you if it wasn't true so the thing is if you're putting your faith in jesus in that mansion in the sky man it's it's going to be a big leap it might be true but there's a lot of problems with it and I'd say, so So this is probably why the original debate topic that I had asked for Bill and I to debate <laughs> was secular humanism is superior to Christianity <laughs> because that would actually have to make Bill argue for secular hum humanism, which, as you can see, he's, he's, he's going to have a hard time doing because the, the studies show that people who truly believe in atheism and secular humanism that don't believe there's an afterlife studies show that they are more willing to mistreat people because they don't they don't think there's going to be consequences in a, in the next life um and as far as the extinctions there's only one extinction that we really know of it's called the flood extinction <laughs> 
Well, you know, I took a class in Legends and Genesis at the University of North Carolina. I asked the guy, you know, he just destroyed it with the P and J. Genesis is a blended narrative with the P writer saying seven days from the flood or 40 days and the P writer saying 150 and distinctions. And if you don't know Hebrew, you can't really tell what's going on. But I said, hey, just tell me straight out, you know, did this flood happen or not? Was there a go? And he goes, he looks at, and he was Catholic. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. It'd have to be zero percentage. It's like, hey, you not, might not realize this being in your little Catholic bubble and here at the university, but people believe there was a global flood. Well, actually, so. actually, it's kind of interesting because even Discovery Channel did a show where they looked at the Grand Canyon, and they too believed that there was a flood, and they, but they were, but it wasn't global, and yet they were looking at the evidence that was all showing that, yeah. It's there. They just don't want to believe the evidence that's in front of them. And again, you have Hugh Ross's ministry reasons to believe local flood. So yeah, you know, different views. Okay, now let's. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I want both of you to comment on the famous C.S. Lewis quote <laughs> that God is either a liar, a lunatic, or He's Lord. Andrew, you can go first. Okay. And I was going to say, we'll, we'll let Bill go first since I went first last time. But, but since you said that was all, no, no, yeah, no, no. I, I thought That's, I asked Bill the first question. Oh, did you? Time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say this. Uh, I think that the the idea of the, the quote, I'm not sure if it's original with C.S. Lewis, but he's most known for it, is you really have one of three scenarios of who Christ is. Either he lied about being God. He knew he wasn't God. He lied about it, in which case he's a liar. We shouldn't be following him. Uh, or he's a complete lunatic that he thinks he is God. That, and, and again, then we shouldn't follow him. Or he actually is who he claimed he is. He's Lord. And the evidence we have that he is Lord is that he said he would raise himself from the dead after three days. And that's what he did. Dead people rot. They don't raise themselves from the dead because they're, well, dead. And so the fact that Jesus could say he will raise himself from the dead and then be seen by over 500 witnesses, that is the proof that he is who he claimed to be, that he was God or is God. Okay, this is one of my favorite questions. There's a fourth alternative, which C.S. Lewis didn't say, and that's called legend. So... We have legendary embellishment where, like the zombies in Matthew, where, you know, the dead saints rising and so forth. Clearly, even Mike Lacone and uh, we Mike Craig say this is just apocalyptic talk. So the problem is, what is legendary? What is historical and what's legendary? There's a lot of legendary embellishment, like the whole book of John. We were talking in, about the Jesus Seminar. All the, the 70 premier scholars said none of that comes back to Jesus. So... And again, if you read Barterman's book, How Jesus Became God, they imposed deity upon Jesus. Jesus, if you look at Mark, he didn't think of himself as God. That was later legendary you know, embellishment. Okay, so, so in, uh, uh, along the same lines of that, when you bring in legendary, <clears throat> would you, do you think it would be fair to say that that same standard 
could apply to uh, what we know of historical men who came before Jesus, such as Julius Caesar. Um, and things like, could, well, it's funny least... you mentioned that because, well, Julius Caesar, we have hostile witnesses, which we don't have with Jesus. Him crossing the Rubicon, there's, things wouldn't have worked out the way they did in the Civil War if it wasn't for him crossing the Rubicon. So, and we have hostile witnesses. With Jesus, we just have believers uh, that are writing, and they say, so that you might believe. So, um, that's the problem. We would like to have outside critical references instead of you know, such biased you know, accounts. So, so sense? yeah, let me, let me real quick address one thing and I'll, I'll just share my screen real quick so we could see, uh, you know, the argument that Mark was the first gospel and doesn't really mention about Jesus being God. Well, let's take, let's take a, a look. Here's all the verses in Mark that refer to Jesus as being God directly or indirectly. So when we say, well, Mark really doesn't talk about Jesus being God, I'm, I'm moving slowly, and when you see a two in parentheses, it means that there's two different references to his deity in a single verse. And so just as I go through this, you end up realizing that depending on whether you take a, the long, the how, how would you deal with the longer uh, ending of Mark, whether you consider that to be scripture or not, um, I don't. So, what you have is 405 of, you know, references to Jesus being God in the 666 verses, or if you want to look just at the verses, 311 verses out of 678. That's 50, basically uh, 46% rounded up. Uh, so, 46% of the Gospel of Mark refers to Jesus as God. And if, if that's the best you have to say that it's embellished in what you say is the first of them, half the gospel refers to Jesus as God. I think that's pretty strong that very early, even by what you'd say, Bill, is the earliest document supports. But in Mark, he seems to you know, have the Messianic, hey, don't tell anybody you know, who I am, uh, you know, the Messianic secret. Uh, he's speaking <clears throat> parables, totally different in John, where all he does is talk about himself. You know, I'm the way, you know, he who believes in me will never die. I mean, what a difference. Did, did Mark just not get the memo? No, because Mark, yeah. Mark wanted to prove that he was a servant. And, and actually, not just Mark, but the others, you see that really Jesus would say that to the Jewish people. He had no problem saying to Gentiles, letting them spread it. Uh, so it was a thing that with that was specific to the knowledge that he had as being God. What might happen if everyone started sharing that he is the the Messiah? It would, and he, Scripture even says that he had to go hide because they were going to make him king. So. Um, yeah. So, so I'm just, the point being is if people want to say, well, Mark doesn't speak about Jesus being God. Well, okay. Half, almost half of Mark refers to Jesus as God. Granted the gospel of John, there's going to be more in the gospel of John, but to argue that Jesus didn't say it, or sorry, that Mark didn't point it out is, is just not accurate. Well, in Mark, you know, where he healed the paralytic, you know, they, I think they went through the roof. Remember that? Yeah. And uh, he said, what's easier to have your sins forgiven? And that has a degree of virulent similitude that I can see Pharisees saying, oh, my gosh, you know, what are you doing healing him on the Sabbath or whatever and nitpicking him, you know. And so 
you just have to tease it out and say, is this historical? And that's what scholars like Dale Allison do. They look at each uh, miracle and event in the life of Jesus on a case-by-case, and they try to tease it out, whether it's historical. Yeah, so, so I mean, just to, to, to give you all the Gospels, the, the Gospel of Matthew is, you know, and numbers are hard to get in, in audio, I get, but 482 unique verses— Okay, that are mentioned out of 1,072, uh, 71 verses altogether. That's 45%. In other words, per- percentage wise, Mark refers to Jesus as God more than Matthew does. Luke, who's trying to show that he's a man, is 39%. Now, granted, the Gospel of John, right? That one is basically like, you know, eight, uh, 66, 67%. So yes, that one has the most. But the when we look at this, the reality is Mark refers to Jesus as God percentage-wise more than Matthew or Luke. This is something that, that you don't hear the scholars talk about because they don't they don't look at this the way an engineer would it would. And that's how I am, right? So percentage-wise, no, Mark Mark speaks of Jesus being God more than any other of the gospels other than John. Did you did you want to respond to that? No, next question. Okay. I'll just mention that Stan, hey, I'm just going to give a shout out to Stan. I used to go to church with Stan, a great guy, but he says 40% of the gospel of Mark refers to Jesus as God. I didn't know that. Stan, <laughs> were you listening when I was teaching? No. <laughs> he. There we go. There's the proof he was sleeping like everyone else when I was teaching. <laughs> oh, goodness, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. I, hey, um, hey, look, you know, I'm really good at putting people to sleep, I'll have you know. In fact, in fact, if you did want to get to, to sleep, I mean, right now they're still running a, a sale, a cyber sale, if you wanted to get yourself a good my pillow, And so there, the sale is still going on. You could get, as, I think it's 50% off the MyPillow 2.0. Hey, Drew, if you want to upgrade that pillow you got, now might be the time. You can upgrade it up to 71% off on their Cyber Monday sale. They're still running on their sleepwear, their socks, their accent pillows. You can get all of that with the promo code, the promo code of SFE. stands for Striving for Eternity. Uh, you can get some of the great, the, the best sales that, they've, that they have going on right now. And not only would you get yourself a good night's sleep, which, well, it, if Drew had a better night's sleep, maybe his hair wouldn't fall out. But, but if, you had a, if you wanted to get a good night's sleep and at the same time support Striving for Eternity, you can go to MyPillow.com, use promo code SFE. A great Christmas presents. You need to get something for someone for Christmas and you just don't know what to do. They have the bath towels. They have a whole bunch of things that you can get as a gift uh, that someone will love you for. Good job. It's a good thing I had my earphones in so my wife didn't hear about the sale for my pillow. Oh, you want me to you want me to send her a text? <laughs> no. And for for Bill's sake, Bill, always. you'll have to explain the the battle that goes on in your house over over mm. me giving gifting you a my pillow. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, Andrew gifted me a my pillow. I'd never had one before, and I got it, and I loved it. Okay. Then my wife started taking it, and so she started using it. So this is what I did. 
I got her a my pillow. <laughs> and so now she has a my pillow, I have a my pillow. And then because uh, our son will come into our bed and sleep into our bed, he started taking my my pillow. So it's just yeah, so for your son, you got to get the travel mind. size yeah. one, which would be perfect for your son. The dog took uh, my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have one, but if I did, he would probably take it too. <laughs> yeah, that, he would be probably would. Um, okay, so uh, let's get into this question here. That's from Bible Care and Share Fellowship. He asks, how do, does atheists square the prophecy and history of Israel? Actually, that's a pretty remarkable prophecy. Who would have known that, you know, when the destruction of the temple, when the Jews went to the diaspora, that they would somehow 2,000 years later, you know, as the Bible predicted, I think in Isaiah, is that right, Andrew? Or Ezekiel, these bones will come alive? Uh, Ezekiel. See, in 1948, seems to be a remarkable prophecy. So, so to answer the question that Bill just asked, who would have known? God. <laughs> <laughs> See now, folks, for, for folks listening on the podcast, you, you, you this is one where you guys you kind of have to watch to see. Like when I'm making a comment like that. So people might think I'm being snarky. Bill's laughing. He's muting himself, but he's laughing, okay? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so let's get, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I didn't know if we would get through all of these questions. And we've got through um, a good number. I'm, sa- I'm, saving, I'm saving one of them uh, towards, for, towards the end. Uh, but we've got through the ones of Andrew. And we've got through a good number of them. Some of these ones that are addressed to Bill, um, Bill has actually answered, um, not knowing he was he was answering that question. Um, so let me look and see. Uh, this one is for Bill, and it deals with sort of uh, what we're dealing with now in our culture. Uh, has to do with transgenderism. Where do you stand? on the idea of transgenderism and homosexuality. I'm so glad you asked that. Let me tell you a story. James and I were doing a talk in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, and it was about cults, and uh, it was a conference. And I looked at a table, and this uh, guy was in the table by himself, and I went over to talk to him. And he wrote a book, his name's George Carnell. He wrote a book, Queer for Christ, And he had, I listened to him for like a half hour, just mesmerized by his testimony. He moved to California. He saw the sordid side of homosexuality, how homosexuals can have tons of partners, how they have rape, how they use, it's a very using culture. And he just got disgusted with it and went through all sorts of depression stuff, came to Christ, and now he has a thriving ministry. And I said, you know, George, it's just fantastic what's happened to you, but you do seem to still, it was natural for you to be drawn to men, not women. And he goes, yeah, let me tell you, Bill, I just wanted to test it out. So they got this model, supermodel, to go and you know, go to him and, you know, try to entice him. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so it looks like he just wasn't interested in that sex. So my only thing was, well, George, the problem is as a Christian, you don't have sex. And he goes, yeah, that's right. 
So, you know, what's the deal? And here's the thing. In the Bible, in Leviticus, I think it's 2017, if you're a homosexual, they take you out to the gates and stone you. It gets worse in the New Testament where it says, neither idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor fornicators will inherit the kingdom of God. So now it's an eternity of punishment and, uh, you know, problems there. So it's just a complicated issue. Um, I, in graduate school, I had a friend, and he goes, Bill, I'm in an all-girls tennis class. <laughs> he goes, any guy would love it, but it's like meaningless to me. So I can somehow empathize with him, but it's like, man, how can I even comment on it, you know? Now, it, kind of tying that into our discussion on evolution, <clears throat> when we look at, say, the transgender movement, you have men who claim to be women and think they're women and women who think and claim to be men. Uh, one of the things we don't see, we don't see men uh, ev uh, through evolution turning into women and vice versa. So what, what are your thoughts about maybe their mental state um, do you think that's even it's possible that evolution could uh, turn men into women and women into men? No, not personally. No, uh, it's just well. And George was like he went through a lot of depression and suicidal. Time. I mean, he just went through so much trauma and the relationships not working out. And as far as the transgender thing, well. <laughs> Who knows about it? You know, Matt Dillahunty, I don't know if you all saw the recent debate where uh, the guy kind of insulted him and about his partner, and, you know, he just walked out. So apparently that was very, you know, personal to him. Yeah, my, my argument, Drew, for this is, <clears throat> I thought this is where you were going to go, but, you know, for people who say they're atheists, atheism would be the belief there is no God. It's the idea that we're just chemical reactions. I think transgenderism is a major problem for people who say there is no God be, and, and still hold to, to transgenderism. Because if there's no God, we're just purely material entities, we're chemical reactions, there is no immaterial part of us. The reason that becomes important is if I'm born a biological male, my chemistry is male. I'm going to be male, I'm going to do male things, and I can't go again. Saying I identify against my biology right there says there's an immaterial part of me. So when we talk about this whole transgender identity, it disputes atheism because it is outrightly an appeal to the immaterial part of us, that the spirit. It's, so right there is, it becomes a, a dilemma, I think, for, for atheists to try to hold to both. Because when you're holding to the transgenderism, you're, you're fundamentally denying the, the main premise of atheism. Is there anything? Bill, Bill shook his, for folks who are listening, Bill shook his head yes and gave a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're saying is Bill is in full agreement with you. Yeah, well, what it means is that people can't hear his head shakes and, his, and he, he can't see his smiles, you know. Bill's an expressive guy, just for the record. <laughs> I've learned that. Like, okay, so last week we're playing the debate, and when, when I'm standing up there, I can't see Bill behind me all the time. 
there's a couple times I turn around to see a reaction just to see, like, to make sure he understands I'm saying things in jest or, you know, like, to see he's not getting offended by something I said. But when I got to watch it, I got to see, so he, he has got some, I know I do this as well. I make a lot of facial, <laughs> so I can't hide what I think. Uh, although when I'm, I'm sitting there with Bill, like trying to write as fast as I can with, with all the things he's bringing up. But yeah, it was, it was fun to watch Bill's face like on the debate as well. That's why I have a beard. So no one can really uh, tell my facial expressions. Uh, so what are you so- trying to hide from your wife? I don't have anything from my life. <laughs> so uh, then shave so, off that beard and, and let her see what your facial expressions are. <laughs> it's always smiling. Always smiling. See, this is my smiling face. See that? <laughs> All right. So, so this can be uh, to both of you. Uh, and I'll let both of you uh, expound on it. Uh, and let me begin with Bill. Do you believe the transgender issue or the homosexual issue? Uh, do you believe that that's a... That, that's a moral issue. Do you believe it, it touches on morality? Uh, and especially once once I start once you start getting into say transgenderism and you have a man, biologically a man, now claiming to be a woman, who's also trying to uh, do the things we see out in society: play women's sports, use women's bathrooms, uh, force these things upon kids. Um, do Do you think this this issue is a moral issue? Um, seems to be, uh, you know, a problem we have as atheists is they go, well, how, what do you feel about morality? And what we typically say is flourishing is the key word. We want people to flourish, to, to have the best lives they can. Like in pickleball, I taught someone today how to be a better pickleball player. So, yeah, I try to go and improve people's lives. Like Teresa, you know, my girlfriend, she learned how to swim and yeah, lost a lot of weight. It was something very positive to her. But then you're gonna get into problems because what's flourishing to me might not be flourishing to other people. And with the transgender thing, maybe they're flourishing, but maybe they're not, who knows? Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think my answer will be clear. Yeah, I think it's a moral issue. And and the reason I would say that is because where do we get morality from? From the nature of God, you know, God's not transgender. It, it goes against His nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that was going to be my next question is because uh, Bill, it sounds like you you believe morals exist, uh, that there is such a thing as morality. Uh, where where do morals come from, and what is the standard of morality? Is it something that that society determines? Is it transcendent? Um, well, we had Frank Turk on, and I, you might be aware he wrote a book, Stealing from God. And his point is that us atheists steal morality from Christians. And that has a certain amount of truth to it, that uh, we're in a Christian culture. So, yeah, I can see myself getting some morality from the Christian uh, culture, values, and so forth. Uh, the typical response as atheist is the community sets standards that we go by. The problem is talking about homosexuality, where you all know 50 years ago, you know, this thing was in the closet and it was a uh, it was a, a crime. My gosh, look, in 50 years, the culture's changed. So the 
the view of homosexuality has changed and they have a big voice the transgender and homosexual community with the minority they don't have that many numbers but they have a huge voice so is that you know uh influencing society i don't know andrew yeah i i mean Yeah, I don't know that I have much to, to really add to it. I mean, I think it's my position will be clear. <laughs> I, I mean, because I, I already said, I kind of already said, right? I mean, it, we get it from the nature of God. That's, I mean, right. why, is, why is lying wrong? Because God's not a liar. Why is stealing wrong? God's not a thief. You know, well, and I would say the Bible is clear that homosexuality is wrong. People like, remember Bishop Spong, James, uh, he was like the homosexuals loved him because he said, look, you can be a Christian, you can be part of the church and you know what's going on today with that. So it's just, it's a tough, tough issue. And you have the apostle Paul who uh, John Shelby Spong said was a repressed homosexual. And if you read Romans <clears throat> seven, he talks about, I hate this thing that I do. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Most heterosexuals don't hate their, you know, these things. I mean, what in the world is he talking about? And he seems to be, and remember that it was death if you were found out to be a homosexual so you know it's a very minority view but some people believe he was a repressed homosexual well you, you know why that would be a difficult view is because it has nothing to do with his sanctification it has everything to do with his salvation uh, when you look at the Greek he actually goes in past tense so he's talking about himself coming to Christ um, what we what we would hold to is the belief that he clearly would have been married because he was a Pharisee, and that's a requirement to be a Pharisee. He clearly later is single. He's without a wife. He mentions that. And he talks about abandonment. Uh, I believe, my personal belief, I can't prove it from Scripture, but just looking at the passage I just mentioned, uh, I believe that his wife abandoned him when he became a Christian. He was a very, very uh, well-known, affluent Jewish rabbi had the, you know, very, you know, at the time, probably one of the best philosophers trained under the best mm -hmm. teachers. And therefore he would have, he would have had a lot of clout. And so in a system that's arranged, arranged marriages, whoever arranged a marriage with him probably also was a family that had a lot of clout. And so he becoming a Christian would be a stain on the family of his wife. And so I think that she probably abandoned him. And so I, I, that, that would argue he's, you know, if people are saying, well, he was a repressed homosexual, first off, uh, he was married to a woman, uh, would have had to have been to be a Pharisee. Uh, the fact that he wasn't married may have more to do with her leaving, but I don't think, you know, you could use Romans 7 to make the argument at all because it's a past tense thing referring to his coming to Christ. Well, it's a minority view, but yeah. it's just fascinating to see the influence of Pauline, which we inherited Pauline Christianity, that this guy is just, you know, you know people that they go one way all the way or the other way. They they don't have a middle ground. That seems to be the Apostle Paul. He's all in one way or the other. Well, and it's interesting to think that if it wasn't for Paul, the co-founder of Christianity, 
Christianity might have just pretty much been a small sect in in Jerusalem. I mean, it just Paul just opened it up with, uh, "Hey, you can eat a pork sandwich. You don't have to get you know circumcised." I mean, it's just uh, amazing to think, you know, and to think of him on Mars Hill. Imagine being the only Christian there, and you have all these pagan worshippers, idols, and look, it all changed in a few hundred years where the peg, the idols were out, the god, the multi gods were out, and Christianity was in. It's amazing. Well, see, I would say that we have a biblical Christianity, a Christocentric Christianity, and Paul was not the co-founder. Paul was a follower. It was Jesus who was the founder and taught it from the beginning. Uh, Paul didn't teach some... It's not like Mormonism where you have Joseph Smith teaching that Jesus, you know, is, you know, or that they're teaching there's one God, and then later... Joseph uh, uh, Brigham Young teaches others many gods, right? It, it, it's not that sort because there's nothing where you're seeing those kind of contradictions between Paul well, and Jesus. Well, you do because Jesus had a work salvation where, and remember in Matthew, not one iota of the law will disappear. And here Mark, uh, Paul's saying, oh, I count the law as you know, dung. And he's, he believed in grace plus nothing. So totally contrary so to did, so the did Jesus. theology of Jesus. So did Jesus, but Jesus being God knows the hearts of men and can tell self-righteous men you have to do works knowing that they won't. And, and so if, like, if you're referring to the rich young ruler, it seems like he's telling him to do works, but Jesus being God knowing his heart is, is calling out the very sin that he knows this guy is not willing to give up on. He's not saying this is the way that people get saved. He's saying for this specific person, here's the one thing you won't give up. But then again, that proves his deity. Now, uh, Bill, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Frank Turek. You mentioned his book "Stealing from God." I like to call Frank Turek's book "Stealing from Bonson." Um, <laughs> but uh, D asks a question here. I wonder if Bill has ever watched the Bonson uh, Stein debate. That's a great one. No. Okay. Um, so I would uh, I would encourage you. Uh, I think you would I think you would really enjoy it. I think you would like that debate. It is a really great debate between Greg Johnson and Gordon Stein. Yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah with all the all the stuff you've watched, you haven't watched the classic <laughs> debate between it. Like I said, you and I spend so much time on this stuff. Gosh, I'm I'm bound to miss something, you know, along the way. You know, people go, why do you spend so much time and you're an atheist on this stuff? And you'll see if you watch the Atheist Christian Book Club with Tim McGrew about the 50-minute mark. I say this is the reason because Tim McGrew pulled the Greek card on me. (laughs) So, uh, you know, with these Christian apologists like yourself, Andrew, they're so well-read and so, you know, well thought out that you got to really be on your game. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, you've obviously been missing some things. I mean, you've just discovered Apologetics Live, right? And I know you're not going to miss an episode now. You're going to be watching live and you're going to come in and ask good questions. How did I miss that? Exactly. (laughs) That's one out there. That is funny. All right, let's see some of these these questions or comments that uh, mostly Andrew highlighted. Um, Why was it, you know, I was just trying to highlight any of the questions. Do we get to all the questions? I, I, I've been trying to highlight the questions that we were asked, but there's still a couple. Okay, here's a good one. Here, here is a good one for Bill. Um, what do you think is right with Christianity? Um, community. That's the problem we have as atheists is 
the community is terrible. We have this book club, the Atheist Book Club, and it's just uh, so tedious. And we, we were reading Tarzan. What does that have to do with, you know, atheism? And these esoteric books, and it's all intellectuals. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my Lord, we just have problems. But Christianity has a lot going for it. It, 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 uh, it improves people's lives, apparently, uh, changes. I mean, that's one of the reasons I came to Christ, because I used to hear the testimonies of people that went from drugs to Christ and how it just uh, totally transformed their life. So, uh, and here's the thing. I play pickleball with Muslims, and the problem is they don't have workout clothes. They're just like got all this clothes on and it's just ridiculous and they don't swim swimming is just a fantastic thing to do to get your toning and just a fantastic exercise and see you can be a christian go to a hip church and you really don't have to believe anything or do it go out of your way just go with the flow have your little ipad on the sofa and be cool you know uh but with you know, things like Islam, you got those five prayers, which is just at six in the morning, people, people have had visited Muslim countries say it wakes you up at six in the morning. It's, and not to mention, if you have to go actually pray, it's just a very tedious, uh, you know, religion. That- in fact, just just to throw this as a side note, uh, even in Israel, where when I was in Israel in February, yeah, you were woken at six in the morning by the, the Muslims, which just for the record was legal and allowed in Israel because Judaism would not be legal and allowed in Gaza. So just remember that when people are saying that Israel wants to wipe out all the Arabs or the Muslims or all of Gaza. Uh, yep. There, you know. Huh. Don't get me on that, that soapbox. Book, remember the book Seeking uh, Allah, Finding Jesus? Yeah. Uh, it's Jesus had his problems. I mean, uh, where someone goes, hey, um, can I bury my dead? And he said, hey, look, we got things to do. We got, you know, a goal here. The kingdom's coming. So, yeah, he is. But. You know, uh, Muhammad with raiding caravans and, you know, I listened to a debate uh, from a Muslim about uh, his wife, Alicia, and it was like, oh, she wasn't 12. She was like 16 or 17. It's a 50 year old man with a 17. So she was 17. It's still weird. And they go, oh, that's the culture of the time. Well, guess what? If you're a prophet of God, can and you, you guys tell me, can you don't you think you should transform the transcend culture? Well, I, w- I would argue that the the argument is more of uh, that of uh, Mormonism. <laughs> you know, where Mormonism, it's like, oh, well, you know, we, the, we, you, you know, we could just change this to, to fit the prophet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the prophet Muhammad, more serious is that he said there are only four wives, and then when he wanted a fifth wife, his adopted son's wife, all of a sudden, God changes his, his mind. Um so let me do this, uh, Drew. I know you got some questions there, uh, but I see. I know Chuck was backstage uh, during for, for the whole show, and I know he's his first time in. I want to bring him in if that's if that's okay with you. Just see if he had any yeah, questions, sure. and so uh, we'll welcome Chuck. Let me let me remove the banner so folks could see Chuck's Twitter handle because I was cracking up at that. Uh, his Twitter is atheist nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> so go find him on Twitter there, I guess. I'll have to go look you up there. So, so okay. Chuck, welcome. Uh, 
any any questions you have for us or or comments? Uh, yeah, I've got some questions for Bill, if that's okay. And I certainly appreciate him coming on and, and being forthright and, and all that. Uh, so uh, I've been writing down some notes on the conversation, and most of the conversation seems to have revolved around the idea of contradictions or potential contradictions that would uh, refute the Bible or refute uh, Christianity in some way. Uh, was that a correct summation, would you say? He's, he said yes, but he's muted. <laughs> oh, okay. Good thing I can read lips. <laughs> okay. So yes, yes. That, yeah, the contradictions are serious, seriously problematic. Okay, I appreciate that. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, are, uh, so you're appealing to the uh, immaterial laws of logic, specifically the law of non-contradiction, correct? Yes. Okay, so are the laws of logic uh, universally authoritative? Probably. Uh, probably? And uh, could you expand on that? Just say yes. Okay, I'll say yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and my next question would be, uh, by what ultimate authority do you declare that the laws of logic are universally authoritative? I have no authority. Uh, and that's one of the problems. Uh, you're familiar with Alvin Plantinga's um, uh, thing about uh, how do we get our morals if it's by evolutionary argument against naturalism. You're familiar with that? That uh, yeah. if we're just randomly evolved to survive, not necessarily to have good moral objective values, how in the world can you trust your uh, our morals or any our reasoning in general? And it's a good point. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what I'm getting to. The materialist worldview uh, does result in logical absurdity because every time that you say uh, I, me, my, uh, according to the materialist worldview, it's your brain chemicals forcing you to say that. Yes. And every time that you have a thought that I'm thinking this, I'm doing that, that's potentially one part of your brain fooling another part of your brain that itself actually exists. And there's all sorts of problems with our memory, uh, our cognitive abilities. We have biases. We have all sorts of problems. And I have these atheist biases that I'm exposed to. So there might be something out there that might change my mind that I'm not aware of. I go, oh, my Lord, how did I ever think that? So I'm with you 100 percent. And like you said, existentially, we're just trying to eke out some meaning and blindly, you know, just so, trying to figure it out. Uh, let me ask you. I mean, your brain chemicals are trying to eke out a meaning. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so, so let me let me just point this out. Uh, two, a couple things. One, there was a, a comment much earlier that when I was talking about uh, chemicals, and it says, uh, Keith says, it would be, it would be when, when I said that tra with transgenders, it says it would be their pre-programmed brain chemicals identifying as trans. So, so th th this is an example, and Bill, you and I talked a lot about this in the debate, confirmation bias. In fact, you actually brought it up, uh, and then I pointed it out the rest of the debate. But that's, that's the thing here, is that w what, what I see, and, and with the questions like Chuck's asking, is a confirmation bias. And you're, you're admitting you, you have an atheist bias. Um, and so... Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, so here's a question I'd have for you. Could you, would you be able to say with, when that you're truly open-minded if you have an atheist bias that rejects information that doesn't agree with an atheist point of view? Probably not. 
Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm going to put, let me put this up. I saw this earlier. Here, here's Rob's comment. He said, Bill is honest. You got to give him that. That was the same <laughs> comment that we saw last week in the debate. Mm-hmm. We were playing it. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Chuck, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it back to you if you want. You looked, it sounded like you had some more questions. Uh, no, I think I'll leave the questions there, but I would like to uh, make a statement for Bill just to think about. Uh, this is uh, whenever I'm asked, you know, why I say that the Christianity is true and the Bible is true. And, and, and I like to put it this way, is that the biblical worldview is the only worldview that is internally consistent. And it, um, it is also consistent with the reality in which we find ourselves. And that any worldview or religion not based on the, the authoritative word of God, consisting only of the Old and New Testament scriptures, results in logical absurdity and or evil. Well, and let me say that Mormonism, for instance, there's no chance that that could be true because you have DNA evidence that the Jews never were in Central America. I mean, this convicts killers, yeah. okay? You don't have that sort of falsifiable thing in Christianity. Uh, Joseph Smith had like 38 wives. He was just a horrible person. Even his own uh, followers said the nanny affair, where he had sex with his nanny is like, he goes, it's a sordid, terrible affair. Uh, He'd send missionaries out so he could be with his wives. Why would God choose such a horrible person to be the leader of it? Christianity, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus doesn't seem to have those problems. And there's evidence, like I was talking to Aaron Ra, the great atheist leader of our community. That, I mean, he's a Satanist now. Well, whatever. The thing is, he said, oh, that's all folklore. No, Christianity, the skeptics, James and Paul, come to Christ in evidence. The 500 wit- that witnessed Jesus, some of who are still alive, that's an evidence. Might not be, like I was talking to Tim McGrew and saying he goes it's sufficient evidence and I, he goes what do you want Bill do you want like the, I do want to depose those people I do want to uh, say when where did you see Jesus you know what was he wearing I want yes I do want a, a, a better testimony better evidence if okay. I, so that, I mean, that's a. Well, let me, let me just first off before you go to that, let me thank Chuck and because I'm going to put him backstage. So, so uh, Chuck, your Twitter handle again. I take move the Good thing so people can yeah. see it. Uh, is uh, is atheist nightmares on yeah, Twitter? I just followed him, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'll do that right after the <laughs> that's show. A great name, Chuck. By the way, I love your name. Okay. Yeah. Of your podcast. Thank you. Well, the real fireworks really happens in the uh, in the comments and replies. So <laughs> yeah. Have to dig into those. Well, hey, you're you know welcome to come back anytime you want, Chuck. It was good to good to meet you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. So, uh, Drew, go ahead. There, you because there's there's a couple more of the questions that we had from the students. Mm-hmm. I know I wanted to to get to some. I was just curious of Bill's some that would be quick too. But you yeah. you were going to ask some. Well, well, the what. Chuck was just, or not Chuck, but Bill was just touching on with, we need better evidence. You know, this is a question I was saving and uh, really towards the end, but I think the fact that he said that is a good time to bring it up is that, uh, is there any amount of evidence or we can say what evidence uh, would be good enough to, uh, to cause you to believe Christ is 
true and and christianity is true christ is lord and well uh, obviously hostile witnesses would be good if we had hostile witnesses uh testify to the empty tomb um the minimal facts, you know, Gary Habermas's things, some of those are compelling, uh, and I would agree with some of them. But uh, you also have problems like uh, the Gospel of Peter, which was widely read in the uh, Mediterranean and by the Christian communities, which has Jesus going to the sky and then a talking cross behind him. Um, and that's our only account of Jesus actually coming forth from the tomb. So there just seems hmm. to be problems. Like I said, Dale Allison, who's like a Christian, sees their problems. But see, you can be a Christian and embrace these uh, difficulties and contradictions and so forth and you know that's okay it's just um, you have some really smart people like I said like David Fitzgerald who's a smart guy who believes Jesus never existed that's how bad the evidence <clears throat> is for these people so I, I love some of the evidence like in Galatians 118 where it says hey I went down Paul says I went and met James, the brother of Jesus, and Peter's closest disciple. Man, and it's off the cuff. There doesn't seem to be an agenda. So that seems to put Jesus pretty solid in history. And even though Paul doesn't know a lot about Jesus' miracles, his parables, and so forth, he does know about the Last Supper, the 12 disciples. Uh, he knows some things, okay? But I'd like, to, I'd like him to know more. And I know you, the letters weren't addressing these issues, but do you see what I'm saying? That can you feel me? The uh, what I'm saying about I'd like <clears throat> a little bit better evidence. Yeah. So so let me. So you mentioned hostile witnesses. Uh, would the Jewish leadership be hostile to Jesus? Uh, of course. Yeah. Okay. And yet they pay the the Roman soldiers to say they stole the body, which means that they knew the body was missing and it wasn't the wrong tomb, it wasn't stolen. What about demons? Would they be hostile to Jesus? Sure. And yet they use terms of deity for him, claiming he's God, claiming that he's an authority over them. I mean, so you're, you're saying hostile witnesses and we have them. You may not like them, but we have them. <laughs> Well, you know, John <clears throat> Dominic Crossan said the people that knew didn't care. You know, like the, the let's mm. say the grave robbers who knew they'd stolen the body or the Romans or whatever. And the people that cared, the disciples, didn't know where the Bible was. So, you know, you got <clears throat> difficulties. Yeah, e easily explained. So, because <laughs> well, well, uh, we're talking about hostile witnesses, right? Um we, we also have to take into account the guards that were standing outside of the tomb. And, uh, you know, we see this in Matthew 28, the guards that were standing there, the tomb, the, the tomb that was open, they trembled in fear. They ran back to give a report and they said, he's, you know, he's really yes. so, and, and they, they told them, uh, not to say anything. Well, see, the, so with well, that, that would be legendary embellishment. Yeah. I would, I would say that they weren't, we don't know if they were hostile, right? But the, the, the one, but you might have a better argument with the, you know, those that put Christ to death, right? Who is centurion who's there. And then, 
Yeah, yeah re- realizes Christ. Yeah, yeah. because, because well, but, says, but again, he's doing his job. Son of God. <clears throat> yeah. So obviously, the gospel writer could have just put that in. We don't see. We don't have videotape. We'd love to have videotape of this, and then yeah, I'll be convinced. Sure. Oh, but 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 yet you're convinced of so many things that you take like, like seriously, Bill. If you took a step back and 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 watch the debate, watch this, and look at how many things you assume to be true and you don't question, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you don't have eyewitness testimony for the things that are, you know, so much of your argument is based on the 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 ordering of Mark being written first or, or maybe from Q or, Florida, yeah. or the, Q, yeah. you know, that there's supposedly different writers and not just Moses from the, the first five books. All of that conjecture that you hold to you hold to that without questioning it or at least it seems you're not questioning it and you hold to that and yet you don't have eyewitness testimony of that either so so there's and i'm saying this lovingly to you bill because i think you know that i I appreciate you and i i love you but it's an inconsistency that you have with the what you're holding to and it's it's and I, I think I know you're not going to take this. Uh, you're not going to be offended by this. I think you're going to know my heart when I say this. But it's it's a hatred that you have for God that causes you to not want to believe, because because you know that I'm going to hold to the fact that everyone knows God exists. That you know God exists. It's just we people suppress that truth and unrighteousness, and it's a we all start off hating God, and, and so it's 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 that that hatred we have for the true God who really exists, not the one that we make up in our mind, that we end up rebelling against him. And and I just plead with you to... Well, you know, in Romans, <clears throat> this is what gets me this. God, we are so on the same page, Andrew, with these prosperity people, with God's oh, yeah. my friend and 99.5. You know, I was going to so- tell Drew not to get you started with that because he, he, he <laughs> Drew, Drew and you will definitely be on the same page with Bethel, for sure. <laughs> well, it's like, how clear could it be that Romans, doesn't it say we're enemies of God? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're absolutely right. Yeah, if you're an enemy, you're not a, you know, you don't have a loving relationship. I, it makes sense. You would be enemies, hate, hating God. So, yeah, that's yeah. your point. So, and my, you know. my plea to you, Bills, I mean, and I, I made this before, I made it dinner before the debate. At, at the debate, I'll, I'll plead with you again. You know, I mean, there was one of the comments I saw. I think I started. Let me, let me see if I can find it real quick. But someone was saying that it's like you, you're sound like you're. Oh, here is Rob. He said, uh, I think Bill is on the cusp of coming back, quote, quote unquote, coming back to Christianity. Uh, he has a lot of I don't knows and fa- uh, fascinated with Christianity. Um, my plea to you, Bill, is. You're, you're a smart guy. You're a knowledgeable guy. You're not one of these guys who's just being blinded and saying, well, I'm not going to look. I'm going to look only at things. That's, you're looking at, at both sides. You're looking at things where Christianity and saying, look, this is right. And even people that hold the same position I do are wrong with, with this. You're able to do that. But apart from all that, you're looking for evidence when you have a spiritual problem. You, you don't have an evidence problem, Bill. You have a spiritual problem. And so my plea with you is you'd repent, that, that you'd, you'd recognize that, you know what, all the evidence in the world, you know, isn't, it doesn't matter because the problem you have is not an evidential one. 
Well, and I can <clears throat> sympathize with that. And sometimes there's a guy in our book club, Ken Daniels, who was a former missionary to Africa. And they said, do you want to go to the... And oh, put me to the hottest park. So he actually read Robert Price and these other atheists. And they said, well, start reading. I want you to read Christian books for the next four months. But the thing is, he and I think a lot alike but and here he's a really more of a thinker but he analyzes everything to death you know those type people right so he's very analytic very smart and i've asked him i said you know ken do you think you might have overthought this thing and i might have i might have the same problem i might be over because i remember as a christian having that peace that transcends all understanding and you know feeling that presence of god and who sometimes i ask myself andrew how in the world did i get here i I really don't know to be honest with you yeah so a a couple of questions the students had that i'm just curious of and just just quick answers um one was do you believe in theistic evolution uh, again, I have real problems with it because there's evidence on both sides. Um, it just, I like you said, uh, Stephen Meyer says the information in the Cambrian to have these new body plants like arthropods and so forth. This how do you get these mor- morphological changes? I just don't get it. And yeah, I know Richard Dawkins says it's like a movie theater reel where you have slight changes that add up to big changes. Okay, I can get that. I, and I know I'm, I'm just seeing it from this small little point in time that if I could view it over the millions of years, I, it might be, oh, I see it. I got it. Yeah. But again, I just see so many problems that, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced either way. One last question I have from the students was uh, that I'd like to get your answers. One of the students asked you, what do you think happens after you die? Is there an afterlife? Well, it's scary because, you know, it's like to think this is all you got and you just want to live, you know, as meaningful a life as you can uh, and do as much good as you can. So it, it's tough. Um, and it's it's very reassuring if you're a Christian and you do have, you know, that belief that, you know, everything's going to turn out, you know, good at the end. But it does lead to a little complacency where instead of trying to do things yourself, you go, I'll just wait for, you know, kind of ride out the, run out the clock till, you know, Jesus comes or, you know, whatever. So let me see if I could, uh, Drew, I'm just going to try and go through some of the th- comments that we have starred here. We, we, you know, see if we can get through this and I may... got a, I got a question for the end and okay. it, it's I'll just s- a fun question for All me. All right. Uh, so this was an early question or statement toward you there, Drew. No yeah. shave November in full effect. All this right. Is, this is one month of, of beautiful beard right here. Yeah. Uh, Rob had said, so Bill probably watched Jay Warner Wallace and or Frank Turk. You already mentioned Frank, but <laughs> yes, I watched Jay. Someone actually just was telling me about Jay Warner today and we've had him on the book. Club. <clears throat> sure. Okay. So D asked the question for Bill. Is it possible that you weren't a true Christian to begin with? Oh, man, is that a great question? I think you know my position on this. Uh, uh, Yes. Uh, Well, in my friend Eric Hoven, who we both know, says he that wasn't among us or left us isn't among us. And you have contradict, again, you have to live with the tension. In Romans, it seems to say, hey, if he's 
saved us. How in the world? He's for us. Who can be against us? How can he lose you? And Jesus says, those who come to me, I'll no way lose. But then again, in Hebrews, you go, whoa, if you forsake Jesus and his you know, resurrection and his sacrifice, what's left for you know, to make yep. atonement? So, Wow. I mean, and here's here's what I always say is like, I didn't really do much. I didn't have a big testimony like you, Andrew. I didn't, you know, going from a Jewish background. I was just a stupid regular Christian, okay? But Ken Daniels. Now, when you're a missionary to Africa, you're pretty much all in. You're pretty committed. So, and he he's never kissed anybody but his wife. So it's not a morality thing. With him, he just looked at the evidence and he told me he got tired of putting a square peg into a round hole. So was I a Christian? Who knows? All right. So uh, there's more comment to you, Isaiah. Isaac says, uh, when you were talking about the, the cleanliness of the woman, uh, he says uh, Leviticus 15 also includes language of men's uncleanness as well. So just to point that out. Yeah, Jews had a real thing with purity and that stuff, didn't they, Andrew? Well, actually, uh, and, and I'll encourage you to go. Uh, there's a couple of videos out there of, of this. If you, if you search for Leviticus Andrew Rappaport, you will see at least two or three times where I've taught through the entire book of Leviticus in one hour. I do it in Sunday school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, right. Okay, you, but, oh, she, you win. Yeah, well. <laughs> you, you spent more time than this than I have. So, but, but, the book of Leviticus. But here's the thing, Bill. If you, you, if you, great. I'll encourage you to go watch it because what you'll see, it. what you'll see is all that cleanliness and uncleanliness. It's, it's. People get lost in the detail and don't step back to see the main picture, which is the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's really what Leviticus shows is we're not clean. We're not pure. We mm -hmm. need to be redeemed and we can't do it. We can't, we, we need atonement from God. Only God can mm -hmm. provide that. And Leviticus, as you, you, know, you realize with the Jewish way of thinking, the, 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 it's not like a, a Western way of thinking where you build a point upon point upon point and your climax is at the end. No, in a Jewish way of thinking, it's more Eastern, so your, your climax is in the middle. So it's kind of like, you know, Moses is working up a mountain and now he, then he comes down. Well, what's the climax? The Day of Atonement. Okay, Leviticus 17. And so that's, it's, so the first 16 chapters are working up to the day of atonement. Then you hit that and you're coming down. And on the other side, it's all about God being God. So, yeah. um, and, uh, by the way, uh, let me just interject real quick that when I say that Moses wasn't historical, Abraham, it doesn't get historical to David. And certainly we have things like Hezekiah's tunnel and stuff and, you know, in the prophets, like certainly they were a, uh, historical. I'm just going by what the consensus says. And as Dale Allison says, he hates consensus. So the consensus could change. I'm very aware of that. I'm just telling you what the consensus is. And, Has the consensus you know, ever been wrong? Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean after I'm, 2020, you have to yeah. admit that. Yeah. <laughs> but what, my, what I, and, and one of the questions was, why, why are you telling us this why are you what do you hope do you want to convert us the, the kids and it's like as atheists we're not commanded like you guys to go and preach the gospel we're not commanded anything so what we're doing is trying to go and educate and get these kids to see what New Testament scholarship says for instance that Paul's letters seven of them Romans Corinthians Galatians these are authentic but things like the pastorals like Timothy and Titus these 
these were written 50 years later when they had a church structure. They weren't written by Paul. So whether you believe it or not, my, what I'm trying to preach is learn these things that scholarship says. Learn what the consensus is. And you don't have to agree with it, but at least be aware of it so when you go to school, you won't be blindsided. I think you would agree with that, wouldn't you, Andrew? And well, like I, like I said to the students, I mean, you know, the, the fact is we have to look at the scholarship and remember that they have a confirmation bias as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, just in the scientific realm, right? There's, there's <clears throat> experts that would say that would hold to radiometric dating, but yet radiometric dating has been proven to be wrong against rocks of known age, but yet it's assumed to be right of rocks of unknown age, you know? So yeah. you, know, so, you got to be careful of that. But uh, in talking, uh, you know, Bill mentioned, uh, you know, talking about Leviticus and cleanliness. And he said, you know, they had a real thing with, with purity. You know, the sad thing is, is many Christians to professing Christians today don't have a thing about purity. You know, it's, it, it, it's almost like it's the cool thing to be, uh, to be an impure Christian yeah. and, and not seek holiness. Are you, are you picking on Doug Wilson again? <laughs> okay. No, so, Drew, go go for You had son, and after whatever question you have, I want to give an appeal to Bill that well, it's interesting. he's going to expect. I've dated uh, Mormon girls, and Mormons are extremely moral. With this hip, cool church, you know, you can do, the Christians just go there and then just go do the big show, and then they just live like non-Christians, you know. So it's just, and there's no accountability like there used to be. Yeah. You can just go and be a cool Christian, sing those Hill song and Bethel songs, and yeah, yeah. it's sad what that, Christians become. Yeah, it's because no one likes church discipline anymore. But uh, so, so Bill, I had a uh, a question for you uh, along the lines of your book club. What would you say is the best Christian book you have read, and what is the worst atheist book you have read? Uh, Stephen Meyer for the Christian book. I love his Return of the God Hypothesis. He gives excellent evidences. I've even read, you know, with so much time on my hand, uh, uh, the his book on the cell or whatever. So uh, the atheist book, Lawrence Krauss's thing, and he's going to be on, but, you know, that universe, those quantum fluctuations leading to, you know, I hundred billion galaxies with a hundred billion stars i mean it just boggles the imagination how that happens and there was another guy and i asked him how does this and he goes um that's the way you know uh things work and i go well am i just supposed to have faith in this deal you know i'd like evidence and he said that's the way exponentials work and i'm like okay is that it so yeah Okay, I'll turn it over to you, Andrew. So yeah, I mean, you know, Bill, you 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 know where where I'm going to go. Uh, I'm I, I'm just going to plead for you to come to repentance. I mean, you're man. I I I, I you know, after we had the debate, I, I got to the airport. I got a call from our friend Eric Hoven, and and even he was like, you know, what is it that holds Bill back? And we yeah, we both know, but. I love Eric, and we were at the ICR at the planetarium, and it's just like he's looking at me like, do you see it? <laughs> and it's like, Eric, there's other things, my man. Well, And that's the thing. There are other things that, that hold you back, and I, I'm not sure what it is, but, 
Yeah, like even with, with Eric, you know, it was the same thing. He he was saying like, you know, you're 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 such an honest individual who you you're not the typical atheist who just is trying to disprove Christianity rather than try to prove something. Um, you, you're trying to evaluate things, but you're you know, you're like this puzzle. I, I understand why Eric <laughs> is like frustrated with it because you're you're so honest. Like one of the, one of the comments that someone someone made. I don't remember if it was here or in the, with the students, but that was like you're arguing so much for Christianity. Um, oh, he His probably hit it. Isn't connected. He, yeah, he probably hit the wrong button. <laughs> you got to wait for him to come back. Oh, uh, well, while while he's he's he he admitted he wasn't great with the technology. He had his girlfriend setting it up. Okay, he, you're you're back, Bill. <laughs> you're not on camera yet, but that's okay. So stop. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> She get go ahead, you. Go ahead, you can't be trusted at the, at the keyboard. <laughs> You'll have to tell her that I said that. <laughs> so he, I mean, here's the thing, Bill. Look, I I, I love you. I, I so want to see you come to repentance. I so want to see you. You 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 love to study these things. You have such a passion. You understand Christianity very very well. Um, and yet you're so influenced by the scholars who are looking to disprove biblical Christianity. You, you know that not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. And so many of those that are in the scholarly realm, they're denying the, the biblical Jesus. And so I just, I plead with you that you and I both know that we're guilty before God. We would deserve eternity in a lake of fire, but God made a way of escape. And I plead with you to come to Christ. Oh, thanks. So... Um, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Bill. You know, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I was fun doing a debate with you as well. I really appreciated that. Appreciated dinner with you, and uh, and and I'm, I'm going to continue praying for you. You you are welcome to come in. if you want to come in and ask more questions. And you know, it's an open show, so anyone can come in. We, we'd love to have you back. And uh, you know, when I get back out to to Dallas, I'll be Please. giving you a call. Yeah, great. Enjoyed it. All right. So with that, uh, next week, and I'm just going to mute Bill so we don't get that feedback. So uh, next week, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We may have, uh, and and Drew, you'll you'll find this one interesting. But um, somebody tagged me on Facebook uh, because there was some guy. Tim, I don't remember his last name, who, who's basically implying, and I don't think I got it right, but I think he was implying that uh, Calvinism is like dangerous and, and false. Yeah. And uh, oh. someone tagged him, tagged me and said, why don't you go on Andrew's Apologetics live show and debate it with him? And so he said, sure. I said, okay. I said, you know, you can always come in, but I said, if you want to spend more time, contact me and we'll give you more time in the show and so he did so we're gonna i emailed him i'm just waiting for him to give me some dates of when he which dates in december he could come on and so that may be next week if not we'll we'll do a q a uh december does get busy uh family time and things like that so i don't plan on having a show on the 21st or the 28th I know for sure the 28th, I won't have a show because I will be uh, in New York City with with uh, my son and his girlfriend. And so, because he's 
I got to get him to a flight <laughs> that night. And so I know for sure that one, but my daughter will be in on the 21st. So we won't have a show, but the 7th and 14th, we'll have something. Um, if, if not, this Calvinism will, will do an open Q and a, all right. And so until next week, just remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. And we will see you next time. Keep praying for next Bill. Time.